Reduce, reuse, refashion. Hi, and welcome to yet another refashion podcast episode. It's been a little bit of a break, but don't worry, season one of refashion podcast is not done yet. I am so happy to be back, and today I'm talking to Henning founder and CEO of Repamera, online tailor service in Sweden. As you might know, one of the key principles of circular fashion is keeping and wearing your clothes longer. And one of the ways to do that is by actually fixing and mending your clothes. By doing that, you can prevent those clothes reaching the landfill and instead you wear your clothes longer, you save up time from uh, looking for another item uh, and you make your life much more uh, convenient. While you might know that tailor services is not a brand new uh, business model and in fact this service has been existing here for ages, what Repamera does is actually it brings it closer to each and every one of us. It makes it more convenient as you don't have to go to a physical tailor shop, but instead you can order services online with one click, receive the package to your home, you pack your uh, item and send it to the repair shop in Sweden uh, where the guys do the work and returning the item back to you. Repamera is also known for an exceptional customer service and really good quality of their work. So they are also giving you, my Refashion Podcast listeners, a discount code to use for your next repair. And that code is NYKUNDE10, N-Y-K-U-N-D-E-1-0, N-Y-K-U-N-D-E-1-0, NYKUNDE10. And it gives you 10% discount for your next repair until 1st of April. So how about we listen to our talk with Henning and you can learn more about their business and the importance of the clothing repair in the circular fashion landscape. Henning, tell us a bit about uh, Repamera. What was the idea behind, how did you start uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Henning. I'm 28 years old, uh, and I am from from the countryside in Sweden. So I grew up with um, sheep around me and animals, and uh, no limits and no rules. Uh, when I went to gymnasium, I studied to become an electrician, but then I started to sell uh, insurances instead. Uh, then I studied product design down in Malmo. Uh, and uh, along the way, I, I came, I, I was about to, to meet uh, or to visit the tailor in Malmö, right where I live, because um, I had two broken shirts uh, and I thought to myself that yeah, I want to use them again. And when, when I was planning to go to the tailor, I thought like, you can order uh, food to your door, shouldn't you be able to order tailor services to your door um, or online at least? And then that night, it was four years ago in January, 2017, 
um, I did a market research and I came up with the idea of Repamera, which is simply uh, e-commerce for repairing clothes. Uh, and also like changing dimensions, like shorten your pants or the arms of your shirt or something. Alteration. Um, and the day after I did that market research, I started to bike around in Malmö and I got my first uh, customers. And uh, since then it's been growing and evolved day by day. And uh, now we have a national collaboration with H&M and we repair, we have repaired like 25,000 pieces of clothes so far. Wow, these are shocking numbers. Yeah. From uh, two uh, shirts of yours to 25,000 clothes for a lot of different people. Yeah. I really like how you revoked this whole uh, idea of uh, repairing and tailoring your clothes. Um, it used to be just a regular business model for ages. There would be sh uh, physical shops where you would go and get your uh, clothes fixed and you uh, put another spin on it. And I really like uh, that you came up with this idea. Mm -hmm. Why um, do you like it? I like it because it is. It sounds so convenient. You don't need to spend time going and to the tailor, finding a time slot, um, then going back to pick it up again, uh, hoping you will uh, be there within the opening hours. So I think it brings it closer and it's in a much more um, dynamic way that you can yeah. get your clothes fixed. Yeah. And exactly what you're, what you're talking about now is what's like bothering you is the same as, is the same as what's bothering the tailor shop owner because what takes time from them is to take care of customers instead of just sewing and like repairing and alterate as many pieces of clothes as possible. They have to each 10 minute take care of a customer and then interrupt themselves and so on. Um, so if you think of like Ikea, the big revolution they did was that they had uh, flat packages um, and they told their customers to um, assembly their um, furniture by themselves. And that was like revolutionary because then they save time in production and they could have lower prices and therefore more customers came to them and they accepted the fact that they had to assemble themselves in their own apartment or villa. And the same thing with us, we, we tell the customers like you, you specify what you want to do before you ship it to us, before you ship your clothes to us. You mark and you tell us what to do, like fix, fix the shirt here and here on the elbow, fix the pants uh, on the knee, and um, the jacket is on the back, and I want to make the arms five centimeters shorter. So when we receive it, the like time demanding thing is already done, uh, similar to like what IKEA is getting around, we're getting around the whole gathering information from the customer part. And therefore we can have lower prices and we can focus more on like material, production, efficiency, and so on. So 
Yeah. Absolutely. How experienced should the customer be to order your service? Sometimes people would not have a clue that um, if they want the sleeve to be five centimeters shorter, what they actually need is four centimeters or three centimeters because material will shrink or maybe they measure themselves uh, inaccurately. So I would like to ask you about the challenges in general uh, when it comes to customers' demands and how do you get around them? I think everything around business, business is about um, making it effortless for the customer. And the more effortless, the more business you will have probably. And uh, so it's, it's as easy as building a IKEA furniture to use our service. Um, like um, the easiest way is if you have a template, like a piece of clothing at your home that, that fits you perfectly. Then you just mark that template and send it together with the piece of clothes you want to adapt. And we take the exact measurements from them. That indeed sounds much easier. And if you can uh, send it with a template, then you yourself can evaluate the differences in the material and maybe adjust. Yes, yes. So how did it all roll out? How did you get your first customers? I wrote on Facebook. <laughs> hi. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so first I wrote like, hi. First I came up with the idea, I think it was a Tuesday. And I wrote, I did a market research, like a market survey that I sent out to friends and groups and chats and so on. And I got like, 50 answers within an hour and I said to myself like I, I will go to bed when I have 100 answers and uh, within within a few hours like around 11 12 at midnight I had 500 answers uh, and I simply asked the question like uh, I simply asked the question do you have damaged clothes at home that you want to use again and out of those 500, um, 80% said yes. So 80%, uh, 400 out of 500 had broken clothes at home right there and then that they wanted to use again. So, and then the day after when I woke up, I was like, this is, this is something. So I just wrote to my Facebook, like, thanks for helping me out yesterday. Today I start picking up clothes in Malmo. Does anyone have broken clothes that they want to repair? And then I biked around. I got my first customer and uh, I found a tailor to collaborate with. And then I just biked around back and forth to the tailor, picked up and yeah. This is crazy. When I think about it, it's just one man's effort and purely just getting on the bike and cycling around the city and getting the personal contact with the people who have uh, the damaged clothes. Um, is this the same tailor that you are working with uh, today or is it a different tailor? Uh, no, I'm not working with, uh, with that tailor today. I've been, um, I've been around, I've been uh, meeting others and now I have my own employees. Um, 
And one of them is actually worked at the first tailor I collaborated with. He was employed there back then and now he's employed here. So yeah, in a way I work with that tailor. <laughs> you took the expertise and brought it to your team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. So how uh, fast and how big did your um, company grow since that one man's effort with the bike to where you are today? Four years. Today, it's four years since I started. Um, and the growth has been like slowly but steady. Like I had much more energy 2017 and 2018 to really market it and like go out there, be in Stockholm on like events and speak, public speaking and uh, creative ideas of marketing and so on. I did a lot of things 2017, 2018 with almost no, no result um, the first one and a half year. And then at the end of 2018, the orders started to increase quite dramatically. Um, and I called like big companies. I, I emailed the CEO of H&M. I, I, I got invited to a meeting by H&M <laughs> and I called around to like big, big brands of uh, construction companies and so on. But the, the results started to come to, to like, the payback started to come. I, I started to receive the payback around The, the, the second half of 2019 and now the companies call call me so now we have too much to do that's awesome yeah so in the beginning a lot of work no no payback and now it's less work and more payback so that's great and how many of you guys are working as tailors in Repamera? and uh, there is one employed tailor and then I have uh, two tailors that are renting, renting space in my workshop here. Mm -hmm. So they have machines and material and they have their own business. Um, and then they have employees that help them out as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been trying to have local tailors around in Malmö. But it doesn't really work because the logistics between and it's difficult to like tell someone who has their own shop that they have to improve like quality wise and then it becomes a small small conflicts all the time because they're like they're having their own business to not to be the boss of their own so the feedback is much easier when they rent when they use our our, our place here so we're three tailors plus they have some employees every now and then Mm -hmm. And uh, just so that we would understand better, are you uh, only handling personal customers orders or do you have some um, orders with uh, B2B clients, some industrial? Uh, yeah, we, we take care both of in, um, individuals and private persons, both from Sweden and a few from Denmark. And we are releasing our Danish website now um, in February, actually, it's translated 
finally. So, uh, and then we have so we have uh, customers from all over Sweden, and then we have B two B customers like fashion brands uh, that both they we take care of their claims, like Houdini, Houdini Sportswear. They send all many of their claims to us, and we repair it and ship it back to their customer. And then we have um, construction companies and uh, fashion brands that has like uh, we can start with fashion brands like production folks. So say say that it is like what can it be? Last year it was fifteen thousand pants, and they were it was an error from the um, uh, production that damage had to be fixed so they could sell the product. Um, and this company has before when it, it has happened, they have shipped it back to China and the factory has created a new um, uh, product line or what you say, but this time they could um, ship it to Malmo and we fixed, repaired all the 15,000 pounds and then they could sell it in store. So we have, and then we have like claims from, uh, from yeah, say construction companies that send working clothes to us. And uh, yeah, so we have many different types of customers. The thing is when you talk about like target group, you can have like a brand that sells um, color, color to hair. It's quite a niche, like, okay, it's only for people that has hair. Not everybody has hair. Like people that are above 60 doesn't have hair, so they are out of the game. And it's only like for people who have more than 20 centimeter hair because people with short hair usually don't change the color of their hair or what it might be. And then if it's like wild colors, like orange or um, yellow, then it's even more niche, like, okay, maybe it's only people from 25 to 30 that will actually use it or 20 to 30. But the thing with clothes is that we don't sell any specific type of clothes. We repair any type of clothes. So our target group is anyone who has clothes because clothes will always be used, almost always. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. But um, you mentioned that in, in the beginning, it was a lot of effort and not really a lot of results. And only in 2019, the payback started to come. So I was wondering if you could identify any particular event that happened in relation to your company, or was there like a massive change in how people behave and how they think? Like we're, we're herd animals. We copy each other. And um, I read quite early in that like PayPal started out with some like recommend your friend and get I don't know, free transactions or some in some voucher to buy something for when they started like year 2000. And I read that Spotify copied that when they started. So they had in invitations only in the beginning. And 
So the only way to get a Spotify account was to get invited by a friend. And I started to use that way of thinking quite early. Uh, and I found different ways, both digital, like when you put an order, you get this automatic, like, um, tell a friend that you used our service and both get 100 krona discount or something. And then I sent out emails to everyone to put a review on Google and Facebook. Uh, and I really followed up on every customer. And at, we, we package each customer with like this silk, uh, purple or orange silk uh, band around, wrap it around. And then we have a thank you note. So every tailor signs like, thanks for using our service. And then they sign with their name. And on the back side of that is like, you can cut it in half and give to two friends and they get discount. And all those, like, uh, what can I say? All those um, efforts and ideas started to reach a critical point. Um, yeah in the beginning of 2019 and it really started to like so everyone started to like tell their friends and like educate their friends about how good look how good the result was from Repamere look how good it was and people like showed their bumps to each other because their jeans was repaired <laughs> and when everyone is showing their bum to their friends around Sweden and at, because they want to show how nicely repaired their favorite pair of jeans are, then it, it becomes this exponential growth and it become, goes quite fast when it starts. So I would say that is one factor and the other factor, I think it, like the, the Greta effect. Mm -hmm. I think that has something to do with it that like companies started to really adapt it as well. That Greta became so widely known and it became like, yeah, everyone talked about it during 2019 within businesses as well. So before that, like sustainability and circle, circularity, circularity has been just a word, but now it's more people understand it's about waste. And I think that understanding can reach the general public about circularity. 2019, yeah. I think first of all, this uh, personal touch uh, was a very nice effort that you did. And I think that is definitely a crucial step to do, especially in the beginning of starting your own business. Um, and then that whole uh, awareness and uh, buzz about sustainability, circularity, that picked up. Of course, uh, I myself only got to know about circular economy around 2018. And I could see also the topics coming up more and more in 2019 and the years to follow. And um, I think it's definitely has something to do with uh, 
educating people. And yet, on the other hand, we still have a, a mass of people who don't really care about their um, clothes that much, uh, for starting with the quality of those clothes that they buy, uh, and then leading to um, decision uh, whether they should fix them or not. Uh, what would you say is your general observation of the trends? My general observation is that circularity is between um, linear economic growth as we know it and complete sustainability and buy nothing. So I would I say that a circular consumption is right in between those two. Uh, so it's, it's this um, German philosopher Thomas, Thomas Hegel. Have you heard of uh, Hegel? I actually haven't heard of him. Yeah, right. He talked about uh, uh, thesis and antithesis. Mm -hmm. So first you have a thesis about something like economic growth within a linear economy. And then you have an antithesis to that. When that becomes too extreme, you get an antithesis, which is like um, no consumption at all, sustainability, complete sustainability by nothing fly nothing, uh, eat only vegan, stay at home, it becomes too extreme as well. So then Thomas Hegel, like 100, 150 years ago, he believed everything goes from thesis to antithesis and then to synthesis or a synthesis. So we can say Donald Trump, Greta Thunberg, <laughs> and me. <you> know. <laughs> Of course, I think that uh, completes the picture very well. But uh, yeah, jokes aside, I think I get what you're saying is that we went from one extreme to another extreme and now we have to find the sweet spot where we start understanding, okay, one extreme is not good and neither the other. Now we are also forced to be at home, buy nothing because we don't need to. We are forced to like revise our wardrobes and use more clothes that we have instead of going to stores and, and buying things. And that's mm. also like driving people to an extreme psychologically. And it's also inevitable that we will not buy anything at all. So where, where is the sweet spot? How do, how do people realize that? In my opinion, the sweet spot is circular consumption. Like the antithesis team about sustainability says like plastic is the problem. And the linear economic growth team says, fuck you, we want to produce as much plastic as we want because we have to increase the uh, growth of our like invested money and our factories and so on. And they are like playing ping pong with each other. But the problem is neither because the problem is the plastic waste. Yeah. Plastic is a good material. You can do almost anything with it. But the problem is that the waste is everywhere. It is, definitely. Circularity is about create, taking waste and create resources out of that waste, creating value from waste. And if you want to earn money, you can start a circular business, like you take away, uh, plastic, you ship it into your factory and you produce a product out of it. You decrease like the impact of the environment and you earn your money. That circular economy. 
And if you're a sustainability um, fan or what to say, you can work for that company and go out on a boat and pick up plastics in the ocean for that capitalist and uh, that you er, pre earlier said that you hated. And then together you ship the plastic to his or her factory and you design new products and everyone helps each other. And there we have the Synthes. Of course, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very good um, uh, illustration of how the system works and, and where it is right now. Uh, but I would challenge you uh, here uh, saying that uh, we should also start rethinking how do we do products in the first place? Because once the first cycle is over, what can we do next with the plastic that we just reused and put it in another product? Can it come back to the system? And if it, at some point, if it breaks and it cannot, then on one hand, of course, we utilize it as max as we could. But on the other hand, it still ends up as a waste. Yeah. So I would definitely say that the example that you drew is, is, is crucial. That's probably the first step in the transition. But I would like to see more alternative materials, alternative biodegradable or uh, renewable materials coming in and replacing the oil-based plastic, for example. Yeah, I agree. So the first step, in my opinion, would to take care of the plastic waste. But now what, what's happening instead is that people create new products to replace plastic. But the, the problem will, will remain. We will still have oceans filled with plastic because no one has, because we wanted to replace it with something new. And then when we find out that what we replaced it with, with is also bad for, I don't know, um, the lungs in our bodies, we have to replace it with something new. And therefore, in my head right now, I want to take focus on circularity, which means start to use what's already produced around the world, stop the, the printing presses for a while. We don't have to produce new material. We have to produce, we have to reuse what's already been like dragging out from the earth. And, and it's loads of it we can, we can use before we produce. Definitely. I think we have already extracted valuable resources and uh, scientists say that also we are exceeding on some of the planetary uh, boundaries. So it means that we will deplete some of those non-renewable resources. So we have to now start extracting them from the products that we already have. And another example would be uh, mobile phones and the metals used there. And I know that there are companies taking the phones back and then trying to take the metal away and uh, making into a new um, product with it. It could be, again, a phone or it could be uh, a jewelry, for example. Yeah. Yeah. But talking about the fashion industry and, and we are dealing now with the fashion waste, there's also a huge challenges that the recycling facilities are facing um, in terms of uh, fashion recycling. Uh, what would you identify as the main challenges? Uh, I would say the, the taxation of, of uh, 
employment in Sweden and Denmark. So we can say it's a lot of factors, but at the end of the day, we have the material here in Sweden. We have lots of resources like textile waste, both in Sweden and in Denmark. And we have lots of people interested in uh, reuse, in sewing, in redesign, in upcycling. So why can't they create a business that challenge like um, the fast fashion industry? because it's easier and it's cheaper to have a production line in Asia, ship it here, sell it here and throw it away as waste than it is to create a business in Sweden where people actually can take your shirt and my shirt and we combine it to a new piece of clothing. I believe there is at least 50 people in Copenhagen and Malmö that would do quite nice and unique products that are okay in price but the more we lower the taxation of like uh, payment uh, of um, wages the cheaper the re redesign and upcycling would be and and that would decrease the waste a lot and um, do you think that should be then a particular exemption for that industry or do you talk about uh, wage taxation in general? I think it in general because the thing is every taxation is always hitting on, on the customer. At the end of the day, the one who pays the tax is the customer. And, and Mother Earth is paying as well. <laughs> so when, when the, it's too, too um, expensive to employ in Sweden, we will ship it from the other side of, of the world. Why? Because it's, it's cheaper. Why is it cheaper? Because they have less regulations. Why do they have less regulations? Because Okay, regulations is one thing, like uh, good employ employment um, rules is is regulations, but wage, uh, taxation of rate wages is what I'm criticizing, so I shouldn't mix it up. But yeah. So just to uh, clarify, what you're saying is that the labor conditions should be uh, secured and uh, people should be given proper. Uh, labor uh, conditions, they should be uh, paid accordingly so that they could have a living wage at least. Uh, but then there should be a, a, a side of taxation uh, where the customer wouldn't feel the impact on that. Yeah, so one example is that circular business models, in my opinion, this is an idea, I, ha I haven't structured it up yet, but circular business models is mainly about time. So if you have a rental company that rents out clothes, you have to wash them, you have to prepare them, package them and market them. And then customers come in, they rent and they leave and then they come back and leave it. That will always be more expensive than to have a factory in Bangladesh, ship it here, sell it because you don't have to take care of all the processes. 
So in that opinion, like in Sweden now, if you earn 100 krona, the company pays 200 krona. So you can say that the taxation is a double. Um, one idea, or, or if you repair something, that's all, also time. You need someone employed to do it. So it not, it's not the material it, uh, the customer pays for, it's the time of the employee. And when, it's, when it comes to, yeah, so rental is time, rental services, which is circular. Repair services is time, which is also circular. And the second hand, it's the same thing. You have to first gather it in, receive it, structure it, uh, sort it out, um, and then like create uh, some data and labels and hang it up. And when all this is done, the pricing is the same as the fast fashion companies because it's so many steps of working time to do it. And then you go into a secondhand store, 200 krona for a shirt, and you go into H&M, 200 krona for a shirt. Why? Because of the taxation on label. So one idea is that if you have like a licensed, um, a by the government licensed circular business model, you have 0% in taxation on labor, um, which means that if you, if you earn 100 krona, it only costs the, the company 100 krona to employ that person, not 200 krona. What do you think about that? I think that should definitely come into effect, especially if we want to encourage the circular economy and circular businesses. I think uh, that's I'm totally uh, on the same page with you because uh, the T-shirt uh, or the shirt and secondhand shouldn't cost as much as the new one in in H and M or whatever whatever other brand. Uh, or in the first place, the uh, shirt in H and M shouldn't cost two hundred uh, crowns, which is also a bit like you know the chicken or the egg. A kind of question. Yeah, <laughs> should should, have, should yeah. the the clothes cost really be that uh, cheap? You know, in some cases. In my opinion, yes, it should be because we accepted the rule, rules of globalism, and it makes the countries and a lot of people. It's better than the alternative to have no production in Asia, for instance. So they have their economies has grown thanks to fast fashion. So I don't, I don't think to punish them. I, I think the thing is that why should H&M start a repair shop in, in Sweden? There's no economic incentive for it. It is very expensive. The labor is just too expensive. Yeah, 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 it is. So the only kind of companies that becomes rich right now or not the only, uh, most of the companies the last 10 years or 15 years is simply tech companies. And tech companies don't have any employees. They have a platform, they have some engineers or programmers, and then, they, then it's about everyone is like 
Yeah, when you use like eBay or when you use dba.denblåavin.dk, you and me as individuals do all the work for that right. platform. Right. So we work for free for that platform and they earn money because they have the tech um, platform. But they don't have to pay taxation on our labor. That's true. Yes. It's a, it's a complex system, but I, I would just definitely agree with you on the part that if we want to encourage uh, circular businesses and, and more innovation, we definitely have to at least change taxation and give some exemptions for particular types of businesses so that they could kickstart. And I was just wondering, you know, from also your experience or observation, um, are people willing to fix their clothes because you identified like 80% of the uh, respondents uh, had damaged clothes but how many of them actually thought about fixing them or uh, purposefully looked for someone who could fix them uh, yes uh, people want to fix and people do fix I, I believe people do fix more and more and um, we have uh, more returning customers every year and we have more new customers every year as well. So it increases every, uh, every year. Um, one thing back to the last discussion, 2017 in January, 15 days before I started my business, the Swedish government lowered the taxation uh, from 25% to 12% on repair of uh, clothes which has helped, which makes me able to have earned 13% more if I had the same prices as 2016 or whatever, or earlier. So that's a good thing, but I think that it should be 0% taxation of repairing clothes because people already paid tax when they bought the clothes. So, um, and back again to, to your question about yeah, people do repair and it increases. And um, I believe that people will always do what's most efficient. So when we talk about economic growth, it's really about efficiency, right? So if you can either walk to the north of Copenhagen, buy a product and walk back, uh, it will take you a whole, a whole day say a piece of um, a piece of furniture you walk to the northern parts of Copenhagen and you walk all the way back like you did in the 1950s now you can you can uh, just click like on an e-commerce uh, and I want home delivery and you pay like say you pay 200 krona for the home delivery this means that you can Instead of taking that time as you did for 50 years ago, you can work the whole day instead and you will earn yourself like 1,000 1, Danish krona, but you only pay 200 krona in um, home delivery. Yeah. So you created an economic growth for yourself on 800 krona and that company that focused on home delivery earned 200 krona. Mm -hmm. 
The same thing with, with repairing clothes. Like as long as we continue to make it more efficient to repair, not only efficient in low prices, but efficient in, in how simple it is. Like you can send, use a template, your favorite piece of clothing. You don't have to stand in line at the tailor shop. You don't have to worry about opening hours. The more things we make it more efficient and simplifying, the more people, regardless of how we market, the more people will use our service. Because everything in the universe goes um, least, the way with least resistance. Mm-hmm. Electricity, water, whatever you take, everything follows that same law of the law of least resistance. And the same with repairing clothes. You have your favorite jacket, it's a repair. You can either go and find a new one. It will take 10 hours, five hours, I don't know. And a lot of effort and you have to like prioritize away other things. Or you can click on a button and you receive a bag home, stuff down your favorite jacket. It comes here, we repair it, ship it back. And there is the efficiency, which creates economic growth for us, just the same way as the home delivery. And you don't have to take those five hours or 10 hours to find a new jacket. I totally follow you on that. I think I would much rather fix my own favorite pieces rather than spend time, go look for something else. And maybe I won't even find something that I uh, like or something that fits me, even if I like something. So I totally, I totally follow you on that. And, uh, I think a lot of the times the piece in itself, it's, it's uh, wearable. It's just one part that needs to be fixed. Either it's armpits or some elbows or like a huge um, uh, hole somewhere else in, uh, on, yeah. on, on the garment. And then talking about this whole process. So how long does it take for a person uh, from the time he or she clicks the button until he she or she come, uh, gets back the... Um, from that we have received it here you will have it back in Denmark or Sweden within 10 days Mm -hmm. so if you ship it from you it takes a few days here and first you order you receive a bag to a mailbox go to Postnord hand it in so like 14 days in total And then it's, it, it then sounds that uh, your service takes around seven to 10 days, something like that. One more time. Uh, your service uh, of fixing um, the clothes, that is around seven days within that. Seven to 10. Yeah. Seven to 10. But we mm-hmm. promise within 10 days you have it back for pickup again. I see. And uh, tell, tell me a bit more about the packaging and the whole logistics of that, uh, what what is the idea behind it that you get the bag? Do you then reuse it again? Yeah, uh, since since the beginning, I decided to that we only use one bag for every customer. So we first we fold the bag as a letter, small letter. So you receive it to your mailbox. You unfold it and stuff down your like favorite jacket or piece of pants or jeans or whatever. And you go to Postnood, ship it here. Our tailors open it, do the job, and we always use the same bag. And we we actually repair bags if they're like have a small damage. We 
we repair them with tape and fix it. So we always reuse the same. And since we've been doing that from the beginning, we have become really uh, fast and efficient on every, every tailor is really like efficient on re reusing bags. And because of this, we save like 10,000 10, pieces of unnecessary uh, production of new plastic bags. Mm -hmm. And then you might say, oh, you use plastic bags. Yes, we do. The reason is that it's, the, um, it's cheaper than paper and it's more secure for your clothes. And it's made out of recycled plastic, so. Uh-huh. Because plastic in itself, as we discussed, it's a very good material. It uh, is waterproof. It is resistant to some scratches and things like that. So, but yeah, then you use a recycled plastic, which is uh, a step f further, I think. Um, if it was an ideal scenario, you know, and we are talking about globalized world uh, where Repomera is sending packages in whole Sweden, Denmark, maybe other Nordic countries. Uh, uh, so in your ideal scenario, what would be the logistics partners, uh, the green logistics partners that you would uh, choose? I, first, I want to take away the word green logistics partners. But the logistics partners is the ones who does it most efficient. So if you have two, two one scenario, if you have two different uh, logistics partners, like we open up for a Polish website and a German website and everything ships here to us in Malmö and we ship it back to Poland and Germany. We can do that. It's like the same distance as the, all of Sweden. So Sweden is long and yeah. If we have two different scenarios, one, one shipping company, which like DHL, they have a 10 euro back and forth. And then we have this new startup, which is focusing on, uh, I don't know, they call it sustainable shipping or something. And they cost 30 euro. The thing is, less people will repair clothes if we start to use them because they do something a little more extra than DHL does. So in my opinion, sustainability right now is only about efficient, making stuff more efficient, like uh, sustainable e-commerce, sustainable logistics. Everything is about efficiency. And it's always been about that to do business. So sustainability is just talking about Donald Trump, Greta Thunberg. It's the same coin. They, they're talking about the same thing. But he does it because of money and she does it because of uh, care for Mother Earth. But they both want to do the same thing. Yes, because they both go hand in hand. Uh, when we talk about sustainability, it's people, planet, profit. And when we ensure the well-being of people, they will be more productive in their workplaces. So they will produce more. And if we produce more, then we have economies of scale, which cuts uh, the costs. Uh, but the problem here, I think, is overproduction, which comes into the equation that it becomes so much cheaper to produce more uh, and then deal with the waste afterwards rather than planning 
or producing less and then you pay more per item to produce? Overproduction of new material, because what you said, waste is the problem. So if we overproduce, our production is repairing clothes. Is that good? Um, I don't see repairing as overproduction. I think more in terms of uh, fashion brands which produce thousands of garments which eventually end up in the landfill. But they okay, produce but it in, in such big quantities because it's cheaper for them economically. If, 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 uh, they fast, if a fashion company does a collection only made of recycled textile, and they overproduce. Is that bad? Uh, I think so. Why? Because if uh, there is a quantity which was not sold, what do we do with that? Yeah, but no, that Can didn't it be recycled again? Can it, or will it go to, to waste, to landfill? Okay, uh, uh, Adidas has this like ocean cleanup uh, shoe, I think. Mm -hmm. Is if they overproduce, like they, they clean up the whole Atlantic Ocean and create too many shoes, mm -hmm. is that bad? I think the uh, overproduction part is still bad because then this uh, plastic could have gone to another piece which would have been uh, sold out, for example. So if, if they um, cleaned the um, uh, ocean with, from the plastic, that's great. First step amazing that has to be done second step that they use it in the shoe okay shoe maybe is better than um, a, um clothing like a shirt or socks because the shoes uh, you rub them on the ground but with the shirts you wash them in the washing machine and the plastic goes back to the ocean but it goes with like microfibers which you cannot catch no. so you return it back and it's even worse so and then if we have 100,000 Adidas sneakers of those overproduced, they will end up in the landfill or staying there in the warehouse when this recycled plastic from the ocean could have been used for something else that people would have grabbed and used and then put it back. I agree, I agree. I, I just, I wanted to challenge the, the simpleness of saying overproduction is the problem. Uh -huh. Because in, as you say now, it's not maybe, the problem in my opinion is the waste, as you say, and the waste is not, you don't know about the waste until after you try to sell something. Mm -hmm. Like a company that overproduces, they didn't mean to, they didn't want to overproduce, they wanted to sell everything they produced. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely. So or maybe everyone some... should become better salesmen, so we sell everything. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And I just think that maybe in some cases when the companies have such big power, they can order bigger quantities and get economies of scale, so a smaller price for per item. So it's cheaper for them to overproduce, even though they know in the beginning, hoping maybe they will sell it, that's great. But if they don't, and they don't have to pay for that overproduction part and it, they don't have to pay for the waste or something, then it becomes a problem. Because if they only 
overproduced because of the uh, economic advantage. But I might be wrong in this logic as well. Yeah, you are. You are. Because if you plan to overproduce because you want to keep the costs down, then you mean that the discount has to be exceeding the over amount. And it can never, you can never get as much discount. So if you plan to produce, if you plan to sell 1,000 pieces of jackets, but you say, hey, let's produce 2,000. And if we don't sell them, we still earn as much. You don't because you, you maybe you got 10% discount for double, doubling up the volume, but then 500 of them didn't sell. So you still made a loss. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anyone wants to overproduce and I never think, but I think the reason is because when you, it's really cheap, when you start to produce something, the first, the first uh, hundred takes the longest time and then exponential growth, like exponential efficiency. Mm -hmm. And I think that could be, and why do you want to make it, why do you want to make 1000 One reason there again is taxation. Because you don't tax you don't have any taxation on the machines, you have the taxation on planning and, and uh, like designing planning uh, and starting up a process. But when the process is up and running, it don't cost anything because it's only machines. Mm -hmm. So the first hundred is what actually costs in labor and planning and, and like brain power and brain power is what we tax yeah, yeah the, the government yeah. is taking our brain power <laughs> and therefore when you when you have a plan for 100 you can say okay let's let's make 1000 and try to sell 900 extra and here comes yeah good discussion i i start to get new thoughts of it I agree that overproduction is a problem. I don't know if the problem is, I don't think the problem is that someone doesn't, I don't think anyone wants to overproduce. Mm -hmm. Do you think that? I don't really know exactly. Uh, I will just say that. Uh, intention, probably not really intentionally, uh, I think the, every company definitely targets to um, uh, equal the supply and demand because, of course, then they pay for warehouses and they pay for storage space. And it's, it's, it costs a lot, especially in the most biggest markets. Um, so it is definitely uh, extra charges uh, for that. Uh, but I don't really know if it's possible to implement uh, production on demand in the big brands. So it would be the overproduction would be avoided and sub supply and demand would be met, let's say 80%. Yeah, but say, I, I still think the problem is the same. If, if every company right now switches to production on demand tomorrow, like every company, cars, mm -hmm shoes, clothes, the problem will still be the same that we use nine, only 9% 9 of all the material in the world is 
circulated material, 91% still are uh, raw material from Mother Earth. So regardless if you have production on demand or um, just producing on your own prognosis, analyzing like your customer behavior, 90% of everything will still be demanding from Mother Earth, like a lot of resources, like cotton, one piece of pants, it's like 10,000 liters of drinking water, or not drinking, but seawater, yeah. Yeah. And that's, so I think we have to, again, circularity, use what's already been produced, take care of the waste and create waste into products. Definitely, definitely. Um, I was thinking uh, since this Corona crisis hit us uh, as you know, individuals and, and the markets, have you um, had any effect by it as a small business or do you think this uh, global pandemic has any effect on global consumption behaviors? Yeah, uh, it, it hasn't affected us. Kind of nothing, actually. It, it, it didn't affect us. Um, it, I think it opened up the thinking of local production again and local like handling of repair and the more smaller like ecosystems like the Baltic countries, the Nordic countries, Germany, Poland, how, how much competence is there really in between those countries instead of using, yeah, like shipping from Asia and creating, producing in Asia. So I think um, I, I, I see the world as hourglass, yeah. So it goes from, from one way, like one thesis to an antithesis, thesis, antithesis. And I think Corona was the super, super edge of globalism as we know it. And now we will go into localism mm -hmm. and then we will go out to globalism back and forth like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Life is always uh, back and forth, uh, up and down. <laughs> Are you? Uh, do you have any plans of expansion? Uh, so now you talked about going to Denmark, having uh, uh, deliveries from there and to there. Uh, what about other markets? Um, Denmark is the first, yes. And now in February, the, and we already have customers from there. And now in February, repamira.dk is released. Um, and it's mainly because it's close to our shop here in Malmö, our workshop, and that you, you have Postnord in Denmark. Mm -hmm. The same shipping as we have here. Yeah. Um, the next step, I would say, will be Germany. Mm -hmm. Like Berlin is like all of Denmark's population in one city. <laughs> And uh, it's quite, it's, it's uh, the same distance to Berlin as it is to Stockholm. So, Which is a yeah. fun fact, I wouldn't know, but. <laughs> no, 
No, it's, it's weird. Sweden is really... It's big. Yeah. It's it's long. Uh, and you had a, a strong collaboration with H&M. You have already mentioned the, the repair uh, initiative. Like, would it make sense for H&M to do such things? You also had a, a talk with CEO. So what was the outcome and uh, what? Uh, how would you describe your partnership with them? Um, our partnership is as simple as it can be. So... It started out with just, they gave discounts to all their members on repairing clothes, not only H&M clothes, any brand. So they open up a new like discussion internally by their staff and externally by their customers. Um, and we received quite a lot orders through that. Like they just market our, our business to make it easy. And now, in December, in every H&M store in Sweden, uh, you can go in and take a Repamira bag with instructions and shipping label and everything. Go home and ship, it, ship in your clothes. Um, and it works good. Uh, so it's, it's not with H&M, it's with H&M's customer base, more specifically. Oh, but that's awesome because that's also, that's the biggest uh, fast fashion brand. So they have a huge reach and uh, I'm, I'm very excited to hear that. And it's also like inspiring the young people because H&M is usually, uh, H&M's customer base is usually young people. And it's uh, inspiring them and teaching them that they can uh, treat their clothes better and, and definitely uh, wear them longer. Yeah. Do you think they will also continue the initiative uh, to Denmark and then maybe Germany? I think so. Okay, let's hope so then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our talk is coming to an end, but I have the last thing I, I would like to uh, ask you to do. And I have five questions and that's like a quick round. Uh, I would like to ask a question one by one and you will just have to uh, finish the sentence. All right. All right, let's get started. <laughs> Fun, I think. <laughs> so the first uh, statement is, to me, sustainability is? Efficiency. Nice one. One thing I would like to see more of in the world is? Proper individual thinking. Yay! <laughs> so, what do you mean? Uh, if, if you had to elaborate a little bit more on that, what would you say that entail? Write, reflect, find your own um, unconscious spirit and integrate that in your conscious spirit and, and make decisions based on the wholeness of you not on the herd behavior as, as it is so easy to fall into. So proper individual reflection and, and thinking and um, behavior. I totally support you on that, definitely. Uh, <laughs> third one, for a complete beginner in the sustainability area, I would suggest to start off with Buy one thing secondhand and um, 
buy it from another private person so you have to bargain it's fun okay that's an unexpected twist (laughs) (laughs) bargaining okay (laughs) do you think that's uh, maybe one of the skills that we now try to like get away from Uh, we kind of we forget about it no i think i think one of the reasons people are buying as much consuming as many new products is because it is quite um, uh, socially awkward and it demands more to knock on someone's door, like discussing the price, look at the product and do a deal one-to-one instead of like going to a fast fashion store and say, hi, I want this. Here you have the receipt, buy. It's mm-hmm. really unpersonal and you don't need any proper individual thinking or behavior. <laughs> but if you buy secondhand DBA, Denbloavin.deco or something like that or eBay or whatever and you actually meet the person, you look them in the eyes, it's more than, it's more than just buying a product. It's an it's a experience and you have to challenge yourself and as well That's so a i very would say good one. the first step yeah buy one thing this year meet someone look me eye, bargain try it and then uh, uh go to repamera's instagram page and leave a comment that you did that and tell about your experience right yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so we encourage that um let's move on to the next question and that is Every sustainable business? Oh, this one I really would like to tear down. Every sustainable business is not actually sustainable. So stop using the word sustainable. (laughs) That's what I And that goes... What, What, sorry? And that goes to the proper individual thinking where you ask yourself, like, are we sustainable? Am I sustainable, right? Yeah, what does the word sustainability, the ability to sustain, what does that mean? Repamere is demanding a lot of shipping. If we didn't, if we didn't have shipping, people would drive their cars to our shop instead. We can't be sustainable. We can't offer anything that is good for Mother Earth. But we can offer something that is circular. We can repair clothes. Just like a bike shop repair bikes. Mm -hmm. So I think the second you say that you are a sustainable business, I think it's like saying, I'm Jesus. (laughs) I reached God. I follow you. I follow you. Because uh, I have also thought about this quite a lot. And I was thinking to myself, like, yes, when you say sustainable, that's sustainable for the profit of the company, sustainable for the environment of resources and sustainable for the people that you operate for and uh, operate with the employees and the society. And that leads me to thinking that as long as we will live on the planet Earth, we will be consuming things. 
So what we can do is just to do less bad. Yes. And that's what we are aiming to do. Uh, because if all things remaining the same, we will be degrading on a much steeper curve. If we didn't do any efforts like fixing our clothes or thinking of alternative materials or thinking uh, things like that, then we will uh, end up deteriorating the the uh, planet to live on much faster. But if we bring in some efforts into the system, into the capitalistic system that we are in, we can at least prolong the time and we can win time to think of other ideas. Who knows? Like the technology and, and research advances so fast, so. True. And, and in my opinion, capitalism is just a tool to make something more efficient. Mm -hmm. So capitalism focused on producing new clothes becomes H&M, Sarah, uh, Uniqlo and super efficient brands production efficient, sales efficient, marketing, everything is super efficient, shipping, logistics, everything. Capitalism focused on repair or reusing will be super good for the environment compared to what we have now. So I would say sustainable business is actually circular business. That's or should be a circular should business. Should be. <laughs> <laughs> And then the last uh, one is in uh, two to three years, I see Rapamera. Not connected to me as an individual. Please explain. <laughs> so in the beginning, it was really fun that I was in like, um, I was the brand, I built up the brand and I was um, recognized for the brand. But at the end of the day, I want, I want away the burden of my shoulders. I wanted to work without me mm -hmm. automatically so I can yeah, be in Denmark and uh, taking a walk in Copenhagen. Yeah. So I hope you will, you will manage to do that. And I guess uh, one of the ways is by, by uh, expanding your brand, having a stronger team, uh, and setting up the organization uh, that it would function as uh, as an individual unit. Henning, is there anything else you would uh, um, like to mention that we didn't cover, or would you like to give our listeners uh, a key takeaway uh, from what we talked? Uh, I would like to hear more about you. So how come of every, everyone you could interview, why did you want to do this interview? And I would like to hear fully. I don't want to hear because I heard of you. How did you resonate? What, what does Repamera and everything mean to you? It's a really good question. And, and thanks a lot for asking me this. Uh, I come from a family uh, which was in and still is in, in the small Lithuanian town. Uh, so I come from the Baltic uh, country and uh, we and my family, we were very sustainable in a sense that we would think through the purchasing decisions. We would uh, purchase secondhand clothes just because the quality of items was much better and um, I could renew my wardrobe much faster this way as well. But what, um, 
was special about uh, my um, family was that my dad would repair uh, electronics and my mom would uh, fix and repair clothes for me. I have my I had my grandma who would also knit and fix some um, of the clothes. She would really put them back into other usage, like an old T-shirt would become a table uh, like a dishcloth at some yeah. point. So I came from this background and uh, I uh, uh, did my master's degree here in Copenhagen, where I got to know about circular business models. And I just thought to myself, wow, there are so many initiatives already here. If mm -hmm. I know about them, why can't other 10 people know about it? So this should ripple. A lot of more people have to know about it. Why did I only get to know about this company now? Why is it, why is it somehow like, doesn't reach me. So I really felt that I need to start up my own podcast and talk to the founders and the individuals who are working towards putting the circularity in place, putting it out there for the people, working on initiatives. And uh, when I started reaching out to people and telling about my project, some of them would recommend uh, their immediate network. Some would be, would be recommending um, individuals and brands to keep in contact and uh, I got to know about you uh, through a casual lunch uh, talk with my friends and uh, um, my friend's boyfriend is Swedish and uh, if I'm not mistaken he knows you in person. You can send the name later. Yes and uh, I thought to myself um, and now I'm uh, just Kind of like repeating myself in the beginning but i thought that it is a modern way of uh, fixing your clothes we are used to uh, physical uh, uh, shops uh, physical tailor places where you have to like put an effort and go there and fix and, and have a contact versus now when everything is moving online and moving digitally all the services uh, like spotify again they reduced all the cds and uh, dvds they just Put the streaming platform out there so when i found out that th this can also be done for your uh, for fixing your clothes and that you know contributes to the whole conscious behavior and and sheds a light on on how you can treat your clothes better i really wanted to uh, have an interview with you and listen and hear more of your experience yeah i'm really glad i'm, I'm humbled to to be on your show and i'm grateful that you wanted me to talk here and I think you're a really good interviewer and um, especially especially the five last things they were really fun. I hope you found our talk with Henning interesting and inspiring for you. I would be very glad to hear what you think and if you learn something new please go ahead and share on your Instagram and tag at myconscious underscore living and use a hashtag refashion podcast which is one word. I would be so glad to hear and see what you take away from our talk with Henning today. Also next time you face a damaged clothing of yours think about fixing them or repairing either you can do it yourself or if you don't trust your skills you can always turn to the local tailor and trying out those services also look around and maybe you will find some alternative solutions and if you're in sweden or denmark definitely go online and check out repamera and see what they can do for you 
I would highly encourage everyone to be more considerate about their clothing and take better care of them. I'm pretty sure uh, the ones who are listening to my podcast already does that. So please continue doing that and share this episode with your friends and uh, help spread the word about the love and care we can give to our clothes. Thank you so much for all your support and all the listens so far. I'm super grateful to see my podcast growing and reaching more and more people. Thank you so much for everyone who is sharing about my podcast and helping it become the top one circular and sustainable fashion podcast out there. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Take care.